we go back all the way to Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis as creation is being accomplished, we see him refer to a us when he starts dealing with man. He says, let us make man in our likeness according to our image. Now, wait a minute. God just said that he is the first and before him there's no other. But the God who's creating says, let us. That signifies that the sun has been there since the beginning. Pastor George Martin Jr. explains in today's word how God is revealed through the Son in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. As a part of this series, what our objective will be to help you and those who are watching online, if you've not concluded that there's only one true God, but that you will come to understand that there is one true God, and that through this sermon today, we hope to, the title is God Revealed Through the Son. So we're going to establish and help you to understand that we know who the one true God is because of Jesus. One of the most pressing questions of our day, our day and time, and even throughout man's existence, is who is God? This question undoubtedly also compels another question, and that is, how can we know who he really is? Now, religion, in many ways, is mankind's effort to try to answer these critical questions. Some, re some religious orders, realizing the enormity of and the complexity of trying to answer this question, have defined God through multiple gods, with each God having responsibility for various different areas of operation in the world. However, Jesus Christ is the one true God's means by which he has answered these very critical questions and many more. Because Jesus is essentially God's invitation to the world to know who he is, and to exist knowing him intimately with knowledge and understanding and knowing him personally through a relationship with his son. Through this series, we're going to explore these questions of who is God, and we're also going to tackle the question of how is he different from the other gods of the world? In this particular sermon, we're going we're to explore how Jesus is the means through which the one true God has unequivocally revealed himself. Jesus is essentially, or in essence, is God's, the God of heaven, the God of all creation. He is his invitation to say, if you want to know me, I've created a means for you to answer who I am and to be able to know me, not simply as a far off God, but as a come near to thee God. Because here's what the word says. It says, if we draw nigh to God, 
he draws nigh to us. It is through the revelation of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we understand that the Almighty has set himself apart from all other efforts or modes in the earth to identify who he is. It is through Jesus that the great I am is best defined from any other monotheistic system of belief. Because there are other religions who understand that there's one God or who profess that there be one God. But it's only through Jesus Christ that we understand who that one God truly is. He is the Father of Jesus. Because in these other systems of understanding, you cannot conclude that Jesus is God's Son. There's even effort to give him high ranking and high authority or to give him high privilege within the confines of the belief system. But not to acknowledge him as the son. Thus, we recognize that if we're going to truly know who God is, God has revealed himself through his son. Today's message is, God has revealed himself through the Son. All of that brings us to our first point for the day. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we just read this, verse 18a, it says, Now all things are of God. We first established that all things are of God. And as I've already stated, not, there are religious systems that understand or belief systems that say, hey, there is just one God. But the key is, because of the nature of our, our task today, we're working to show you that the one true God has been revealed through his son, Jesus. So all things are of God. Here's how Isaiah declared it in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 6. He says, thus says the Lord, the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no other God. So the God, God began the process of revealing himself through the relationship he established with the people of Israel. He began to lay the foundation for what he would do later when he would bring Jesus into the picture. But he laid the foundation and they began to understand that God was a God of relationship because he spoke of being married to them. He spoke of them being connected to him in an intimate and special way. But he was doing that to lay the foundation for his great plan. So we understand that he began revealing himself through the relationship of a unique people, the Jewish people. But that was intended for it to show or to demonstrate how God, the God of all creation, was a relational God and not a far-off God. Not a God that is somewhere out there. The songwriter says, somewhere out there. God said, I'm not just somewhere out there. I'm the God who comes near. He begins demonstrating that. 
But we also see the Apostle Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He's trying to settle a matter. The Corinthian church, uh, they had been wrestling over whether or not to eat certain foods because there was still a lot of idolatry in where they were. There were still temples and things. And so sometimes when they would go to the market, some of the food that they may find may have been already offered to uh, some other God. So they were wrestling with whether or not they should eat it. So he's trying to settle the matter. But in the midst of his argument, he says something that I believe will help us today understand the context of born-again believers are those who accept Jesus Christ. Here's what he says in verse number four. He says, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol was nothing in the, in the world and that there is no other God but one. Verse five, he says, for even if there are at so-called gods, whether in heaven or on the earth, as there are many gods and many lords, he says, yet for us there is one God. Here it is. This is key. The Father of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we live. Paul was actually helping to bring context to what the Apostle John had said. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. He's making it known that even though y'all may have heard about a young man who walked the earth, a young man who suffered a brutal death on the cross. I want you to know he didn't just start in the manger. He's always been because he was God who incarnated himself that he might know us in the struggle and battle, the battle that we face in this flesh. So before we go any further, I've got three points that I've made one, and I've got three observations. I want to make, another, make a, my first observation. Because we're talking about God, so we, we have to make sure we make this observation. Here's the first observation. That the one true God is triune. That triune means three in one. That the one true God is triune. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that, that ultimately uh, constitutes the Trinity. We understand triune Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, we can trace evidence of this Trinity or the triune God all the way back to the beginning. We go back all the way to Genesis. The first chapter of Genesis as creation is being accomplished we see him refer to a us when he starts dealing with man. He says in verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, is that let us make man in our likeness according to our image. He says, listen, let us. Now, wait a minute. God just said that he is the first and before him there's no other. But the God who's creating says, let us 
Let us, let us make man. Now let's slide up to the, the beginning. Here's what it says in verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God the Father. Here's what it says, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Here's the second one. And the Spirit of God was hovering. So we see the Father. We see the Son. And you say, well, Pastor Martin, where is... We see Father, we see the Holy Spirit. We say, Pastor, where's the Son? Oh, he's in verse 3. Because it goes on to say, then... God said, there's the son. We see God, in the beginning, God created. We see the Holy Spirit hovering. And then we see God said. Now, John had to make this clear for us because it just simply says, God said. And if you're not able to go and understand scripture, you may think that I don't see Jesus there. Here's what John said in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, there's a, and it's key to understand this, because when we see here, I want you to do something. The Greek word used here is logos. Okay? Logos. And that word means something said. Every time when we read this passage, you see word, the word logos is there, and logos means something said. Here it is. In the beginning was the word logos. In the beginning, God said the word. And the word logos was with God, and the word logos was God. Verse 2 is where it starts to come into focus. He said, he. Wait a minute. He said, in the beginning was word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then in verse 2, he says, he was in the beginning with God. Here's what Paul just said. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Okay, you're not convinced. Slide down to verse 14. Yes. Verse 14 says it this way. Yes. And the word logos became flesh yes. and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Now we understand that the word became flesh. The word when God spoke, that was Jesus. Yes. Every time he said, let there be. Yes. And Jesus went to work. The Holy Spirit brought it and presented it and said, and he said, that's good. Notice how God keeps saying, and God said, that's good. What y'all brought me is good. Because here's the thing. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld him as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 18 brings the only begotten further into understanding. Because in verse 18 he says, no one has seen God at any time except the only begotten Son. You follow the logic? The Word, Logos, 
God said, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld him as the only begotten. And we see that the only begotten is the only begotten son. So we see the triune God from the very beginning. So now you understand how we can be convinced and conclude that God's plan always included Jesus. Even while he's building this sense of relationship with mankind through the children of Israel, he's got Jesus in mind. When he's helping them to understand the gravity of sin through the sacrifice, he's got Jesus in mind because he understood that they needed to recognize that sin was bloody, messy. Because do you know what about sin? It doesn't look like it's penalty, does it? Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't feel like it's penalty. It feels good, doesn't it? Don't nobody run off the sense and say, oh, I hate sin. The stuff you do that God is not pleased with, you do it with joy. Brother, when you texting somebody that ain't your wife, you ain't texting sad. Hey, boo. What you doing? What you got on? That don't sound sad, does it? No. Well, you out all night and you, you don't know your name and the people that you came with name. You been all toward. You ain't in that sad. No, that monkey, that monkey all will make you cry. You know, you ever seen somebody like that? They get it in them, boy. They go to cry and confess. I love you. You're the only friend I have. <laughs> Don't none of these people care about me, but you, you, you love me. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, because we have to deal with this one too. Um, <laughs> hey, dog. <laughs> everything is everything. The question we have to ask, because understand this, the Congress um, just voted to, be, to make marijuana legal. The next step is go to, go to, to the Senate. It's likely going to pass there as well. You need to understand this. Let me say this. Even though it becomes legal, the question when it comes to things, because you have to understand, the sinful nature of man is what drives laws. Making something legal makes it easier for me to indulge the stuff that I should be getting away from. So the question is not whether or not marijuana is going to be legal. The question is, is it godly? Because those who know Jesus are striving to exhibit godly nature in the earth. Amen. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You're going to get your medical marijuana card. Okay, here's how that works. There's a gentleman, 73 years old, coming across the board. He had 40 pounds of medical <laughs> marijuana. Had his card out. He must be the sickest man in America. 40 pounds? 
Yeah, you know, I got this cat cat the cataract. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. 40 pounds, though. Your whole eye's covered with the car. The whole eye, the back of the eye, all of it's covered if that's how much you need. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Does it please God? Because here's the reality we have to come to, we have to conclude, people of God. Jesus says, upon this rock I'll build my church. Ecclesia or ecclesia. It means the called out ones. If the believer is going to do everything the non-believer does, where's the called outness? Where's the called outness? What have we been called out of? If we're going to lie just as much as, as, as the non-believer does, we're going to cuss as loud as they cuss, we're going to get as high and drunk as they get, where is the called outness? Ask yourself that. I'm not judging you. I'm just asking a question. Because here's the thing. When you think about the penalty of sin, it must be pretty bad that Jesus would have to suffer how he suffered in order to pay the penalty. I said it doesn't feel the way God sees it. We go and we do things and it feels good. You, 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 get, you get some sauce on it, like, hey. But the question is, does it please God? That's what we're looking for when we, when we give our lives to Jesus. We're trying to figure out how can we please you. Here's a second observation. Let me move on. The God of the Bible is the creator. Is the creator. This is important. Because when we see in the beginning, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. There's a lot of science that's, that, that, that works to dispel God's creation. I need you to understand something. I want you to see this very clearly. When someone's working diligently to prove that God didn't create the heavens and the earth, it's not just about science. It's about dispelling the word. Because guess what? If I can say that the Bible got it wrong about creation, why should I trust what it says about anything else? If I can say that, yeah, you know, some of this stuff is right and some of it is not right, well, just, just take, for instance, the creation. How could God do that? He can do it because he's, all these preachers out here, he can do it because he's God. And if we could understand God, he no longer exists as God. You know how you treat people, you think you're figuring them out. Yeah, I got her figured out. You know, yeah, she, she thinks she's all complicated. I know she's simple. When you think you figure something out, the value of it diminishes. I used this before. I'm going to say, I'm going to share it again. My son got all excited. He was all, he wanted this game. It was the best game ever. And daddy, I just needed it. And I looked at the price tag. It was $60. His son, you're going to have to grow up and get that one. <laughs> get you a job or something to pay for that. But I get it. He's all excited. He's going to play it every day. He's going to play it, daddy. I just, I just love this game. He got it. 
Rashad, he spent the first week playing almost every day. He mastered it. He's told every day, I, I got the level three. I got the level five. Level seven. No, I'm hoping for $60. This guy <laughs> maybe 60 levels. <laughs> he got the level eight and beat and won that. He said, well, I beat the game. I said, oh. You do know that just because you beat that one, we're not going to buy the new one, right? <laughs> but here's what happened. After he beat it and understood how to do it, he didn't need it. If we could figure out God, we wouldn't need him. But that's why he's past finding out, past understanding. How could three be one? Past finding out. Here's, here's the thing, because I know some of us are intelligent. You done went to school. Your biology teacher, your science teacher told you. Your master's level science a science teacher told you, a professor told you. You say, yeah, I got this thing figured out. But here's what happened. You know, Job, as he was going through his anguish, Job was messed up over losing everything, lost his children, sick, his wife. It's like, Job, you ought to curse God and die. This man feel like he's lost everything. So he started asking God some questions. He said, God, Tell me this and tell me that. And God said, listen, you sit down for a minute. Let me, let me, I'm going to ask you a question like a man. Joel 38, verse 4, he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Wait a minute, Joel. He said, now, Joel, now you tell me if you have such understanding, who determined its measurement? Surely you know, Job, since you're asking me questions. He said, surely you know the answer because you're the one asking the questions. He said, oh, or who stretched out a line to measure it? Yeah. And then he said, wait a minute, Job. Now, you know the earth is out, out there in space kind of floating around. He says, but to what were the foundations fastened to? He said, what keep it, what's keeping it in the sky? What keeps it in its orbit? Who's the one keeping it where it belongs? He said, then he said this, because those builders know this. He said, who laid the cornerstone? Because there's a building process to, that you, you put that cornerstone and it's got to be solid because everything's kind of leaning on it. He says, who established the earth that it stays as it was made? So the reality we understand is this. There may be things that we don't know to explain all that God is. But what we do know sure makes a lot of sense to me. That leads us to point number two. I'm almost done. The one true God, this is key, is the father of Jesus. Yes. The one true God is the father of Jesus. In verse uh, 18b of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what he says, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
So I want to share something with you because it's important for us to stop for a moment as we've shared all the other things we have to come back to this. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17, there's a scene that unfolds. Jesus with his disciples. And these are the men that have spent day and night with him for, for uh, three years by this time, nearly three years by this time. And so at this point, They've been with him long enough. So he thought, let me do this. I know there are people who talk about who I am, but I need to understand those who know me personally, he asks the question, who do you say that I am? So he starts out by saying, who do men say they are, that I am? And they give him a response. They go through all the, the different ones. And they say, well, they say this and some say this. But he says, but wait a minute. I want to know, since you know me, so those who know Jesus have to step up and say, because I know him, who do you know him to be? Yeah. Here's what he says, and here's what happens in verse 15. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you are the Christ, the son of of the one true and living God. And here's what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So God, the God of all creation, is the father of Jesus. That leads me to my last point. God invites relationship through that son. Because in, in our passage here, uh, in, in first, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, here's what, what he says. Paul says that, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Reconcile means to bring back into. So it's a, when, you, when you, you and someone you know, uh, you guys have an argument and you kind of breach the relationship, it's reconciliation when you come back into right relationship with one another. So he says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, there's another passage to bring into this because I need for us to understand how important this is, this reconciliation. And that's Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Here's, here, here's what it says. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate the resurrection because we understand that we are saved or reconciled through the death of Christ. But the power of that death is fully understood through the resurrection back to life. So, so here's, here's the key. There's a third observation that I think will help us to capstone this and close it out. The third observation for today is God's, the God's 
relational desire is, to, is revealed in the Garden of Eden. We first see that this God wants to be in relationship with mankind. We understand that he is God over all of creation, but that he intentionally wanted to live or exist in relationship with mankind. We see that because in the word, when we go back and look at the Garden of Eden, there's a couple uh, in, in, in that first couple chapters of Genesis, we see God reveal himself in a couple ways. There's a couple Hebrew words that are used there, and there's a change in the usage of the words that help us understand that relationship. So we see God going from Elohim to Yahweh. He goes from Elohim to Yahweh. Here we go. So Elohim is that as God is the general, it's a general name for God, and it is used in the context of God as the great creator. So when we see God, we see Elohim in chapter one when he's saying, and God is creating. But then we get into chapter two, and there's another word that's introduced, Yahweh. And that is when, you, when you're reading your Bible, when you see the Lord and the Lord with all capital letters. Okay, you need to understand this because it's important. The Lord, when you see it, the Lord with all capital letters, that word is a translation from Yahweh, which is God's personal name and is used in the context of having relationship with his people. Okay, let's look at it. In chapter one, we see Elohim. And God said, God said, God said. Then in chapter 2, we hear him say, this is the Lord. The Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. The same one. We're still talking about the creator, but he is personal. Verse 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what it says. And the Lord God formed man. When God started dealing with mankind, he switched from being Elohim, yes. the creator, yes. to Yahweh, the one who comes near. Yes. The personal God who wants to be in relationship with mankind. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. The Lord God was walking in the garden. Wait a minute. In the beginning, before sin came in and separated us and breached the relationship, God just used to walk through the garden. What a day that's going to be when we get to heaven and just see him walking around. But he was walking through the garden. Verse 9 of chapter 3 says, and the Lord called Adam. He just called Adam. Adam, where are you? But sin came in when mankind disobeyed God. A breach happened. So the reconciliation that Jesus came to, came to accomplish was to bring us back into that fellowship where we could have personal knowledge and relationship with the God of all creation. But just so that you don't get confused, there's one more word, Adonai. Adonai is when you see the Lord, but it's Lord with a capital L and lowercase o-r-d. That word is a Hebrew term that which means master. So the Lord, capital, with lowercase letters, 
is, is, is referring to God as master. One who, who's the master of our soul, the master of our lives. So let's move on. God's revelation, uh, his, 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 his relational desire is clear when we now go back and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us, mankind, to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That, that, this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When you go back and you see that when God put Adam and Eve out of the garden, he had a plan to reestablish that relationship where we could be back in fellowship with him, yes. where we could know him personally. Now then, we, those who've come to know Christ, those who preach the gospel, we are ambassadors for Christ. Yes. Yes. Though God himself was pleading through us, to whomever you may be who's never made Christ your Lord and Savior. Reconciling you back, he said, we're pleading, we plead with you. Be reconciled back to God. But the key is that we can only do that through Christ Jesus. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, Please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.